0: I'm supposed to start with a funny story, something relatable to make you chuckle, to build sort of a relationship if we don't have one yet. I'm supposed to be very careful about how I use my hands, about how I use my voice. If I really want to be impactful, I'll make sure that there's certain points, maybe at the end, that we have some special music that comes in as I make the impactful statements at the end. We've been going through the lectionary as a church uh, since, for the beginning, for 2023. And if you don't know what the lectionary is, it is a collection of scriptures. Uh, It's a book of a collection of scriptures that churches can go through. And it means that over the space of three years, a church will have gone through the majority of the Bible together. Uh, But still, through the space of a year, you'll have gone through the gospel together. I grew up in church. I'm actually a pastor's kid, so I have spent plenty of time going to churches. Um, But I've never gone to one that actually followed the lectionary. Partly, because when I mentioned it to my dad recently, he was like, Oh, I hate it when they tell me what I have to do. I cannot follow those kind of things. Um, But I've been finding it to be a very interesting practice for me personally. I hope it's edifying for you guys. But one of the things that I've been noticing as I've been going through this is it's fighting a lot of the supposed to's. And I'm feeling like I have a lot of understanding of what the Apostle Paul would say when he was writing to the Corinthians when he said, I came and I was not fancy. I used the plain words and I tried to let the gospel speak for itself. And... As I have been going through the lectionary and I've been reading the scriptures and I've been figuring out how to share it with you guys, I have been feeling like that. When I try to put it together and I try to make sure it's going to be fancy and it's going to work and all of that, it doesn't. I mean, it does a bit. But I feel like the message is so heavy and so important that trying to package it pretty is resisting. Another thing I've frequently been told throughout my time in church is that a message, a good message, it should be relevant. Uh, And relevant is supposed to be something that applies to your life right now. I believe that this message that I'm about to share is relevant. But I'm not sure that as you go to work, you're going to be like, oh, this is a principle. I just learned from that message that I'm going to be able to apply. I believe, I hope, it will, you'll be able to apply it to your life. But it's not going to be a small principle that's just going to make your life better. So this has been a journey for me, this going through the lectionary. And in the past two and a half months, I have already been surprised about how following the Christian calendar has been formative for me. Formative in that I can feel it changing my heart and mind. I read this book a couple of years ago, and I believe I mentioned it the last time I spoke. And it's called, You Are What You Love, The Power of Spiritual Habit. And in the book, the author speaks about how our rituals, they calibrate our hearts. Um, Ali, I'm actually just going to go to the message. (laughs) They calibrate our hearts. So what we do makes us who we are but not simply in a, like, lift weights, grow muscles kind of makes us how we are, but that our hearts are changed by our habits. Maybe it's more like what we do reminds us whose we are. As if we become calibrated to our North Star. And our North Star is God. It's Jesus. And I have found that in the practice of following the Christian calendar and therefore having the rhythm of my year follow this calendar instead of just my own agenda, my heart is becoming more calibrated to the story of Jesus. As an example, we celebrate Christmas. On the Christian calendar, it's a little bit longer, and it's called the season of Advent. And in Advent, we learn, we celebrate the God who entered the world in humility. God who came in as a baby. We talk about the gift that Jesus is in a dark world. We talk about the hope, the love, the peace, the joy that is this message. The fact that Jesus coming into the world in the humble way that he did is the most perfect example of humility. Not thinking of self less. He didn't think that he was horrible, but he was thinking less of himself. More of others, more of those that he loved, and he came into the world. He was the most perfect example of a ministry of presence. I am training to become a chaplain, and a ministry of presence is about being there, representing Christ. Christ who came into the world, a world where much can be dark. To be with people, to create relationship with them. So we moved in from Advent into the season of Epiphany. The season that talks about Jesus as a light to the world. And it starts with um, The wise men coming to Jesus and giving him gifts. And how this story shows that Jesus was for the world. Jesus is a light to the world, but also as our king. That's what we've explored in the last few weeks. And because we are his, we are a light. We've been learning about the kingdom of God and I've been calling it the upside-down kingdom, where priorities in this kingdom are different than what we tend to think of them in the world, where our king is this humble God who went to the lowliest of places to meet physical and spiritual needs. The events we normally mark are Jesus coming as a baby at Christmas and then Jesus dying and rising again at Easter. But according to the Christian calendar, there are more things that we can mark, more ways in which the story of Jesus can frame our life, can inform our life. And so this Sunday, the last Sunday of Epiphany about Jesus being a light to the world, Jesus being for the world, is Transfiguration Sunday. And Transfiguration Sunday focuses on this story. This is from Matthew 17, starting at verse 1. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up to a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. This is a bit of a weird story. Miraculous, you could say. And before we get into it, I want to be honest. Um, Among Christians, whether this historically happened, whether this was a vision, what happened here is debated. And I want to acknowledge that because I want to say that no matter what you think about that, the message that this tells us is still consistent. And why do I want to be clear about that when I could just continue and not point it out? And it's maybe a little bit more of a personal thing, but I have mentioned before that during the pandemic, I thought it was heartbreaking how it seemed like the pandemic shook up the church and revealed some of what was inside of it. And what came out seemed to be the opposite of unity. Seemed to be a lot of dissension. A lot of noticing differences. A lot of getting very upset about differences. So I want to take these portions of scripture where there are going to be people who say they are Christians and they're going to disagree with me about how this actually happened. And I'm going to acknowledge that they're still preaching the same Jesus as me. It doesn't matter which mountain this was. There's three possibilities, and people like to debate which one it was. It doesn't matter if Matthew used a word that suggested more like a vision, like something they saw, and Luke used it more like something that they witnessed. The point is what this tells us about Jesus. And as we look at the story, we notice similarities between this and the story of Moses in Exodus 24, where Moses went up the mountain and met with Jesus. In this, Jesus' appearance is transformed. And we can notice that this transformation wasn't for the sake of Jesus. It didn't change his essence. It didn't change who he was. This transformation wasn't for Moses and Elijah, these other people that came. It wasn't so they could see something about Jesus. This was for the sake of the disciples. They came up here with Jesus, and then something happened to reveal something to them about Jesus. Now, the appearance of Moses and Elijah is also significant because they were very significant in the history of Israel and would have been very significant to the disciples themselves. Moses and Elijah, they represent the law and the prophets. And their presence there was revealing that this, what was happening In and through Jesus, what was happening in the world was a continuation of the work of God in the world. It was a continuation of the revelation that he had been already giving. The author of John quotes Jesus as saying, if you really believed Moses, you would believe me, because he wrote about me. And it's interesting that there was, I don't have the reference, but Moses talked about um, another one will come. And you need to listen to him. And there is echoes of that in this passage. But we'll get to that. The author of Second Peter references this story, references the transfiguration, and he says that because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. Psalm 99, which is one of our readings for this morning, talks about the pillar of a cloud, which also ties to Moses and the mountain, and talks about the fact that Moses and Aaron were priests, they were mediators between God and the people, and that God answered their cries for help, that he spoke to them, and they followed the decrees that he gave them. All of this, these three verses have all of this weight, and it speaks to a relationship between God and his chosen people, and the fact that Jesus was a continuation of God's work in the world. It also had connections to the foretold Messiah, the one that they were waiting for. And this is all things that they would have gotten from this experience. The story continues. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. It's an interesting point here. This is from Matthew, but when you go into the Gospel of Mark, Mark adds a little narrative commentary there, and he says, Peter said this because he didn't know what to say. (sighs) Just kind of a little comment. He had no idea what to do, so he said this, but it was a weird thing to say. Um, But the shelters here may actually have been um, like the tabernacles from the history of Israel, and they would have been representative of a meeting place with God. So whether Peter didn't know what he was saying or he was just reacting to whatever, he was recognizing God is here. Something is happening here. Should we mark this? Is this what we need to do here? But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son, who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Don't know if you notice the similarity, but this sounds very much like the message that was also spoken when Jesus was baptized. This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. But then it has the listen to him which is actually another one of the callbacks to Moses when Moses said there is one that is coming who is like me. Listen to him. This story marks that Jesus and his message was approved by God. That What had happened and what was going to happen was a part of God's plan. Now, This is important to note because, spoiler, if you don't know the story, Jesus was going to be killed, a criminal's death, and tortured. And everything that they had hoped, everything they had thought, everything they expected that Jesus was going to be and do, was different, and before that happens, there is this moment where they are able, it's revealed to them, this is a part of my plan, this has been a part of my plan. How very fitting still for the epiphany that Jesus is for the world. then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus. As they went back down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. So this was an encouragement for them, but it wasn't something for them to tell everyone. In Mark... Which tells this story, but again with a few different details. Mark says, they wondered what raised from the dead meant, which makes sense. That was a big, big enough event, but then uh, that, was a, that was a weird comment that he just made raised from the dead. Luke doesn't mention that command at all, but all of the Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels that tell about this story, they do mention that shortly after this event, he did tell them that he was going to die. And so when we look at this story, and we consider it in the framework of the disciples then, and the story that they were living, and the story that we are living, we understand that this transfiguration was a message for the disciples as they headed toward the crucifixion. It builds on everything that had already been mentioned in the gospel about Jesus' ministry so far. Jesus being for the world. That the upside down kingdom of God is near, and the fact that Jesus' work, his ministry, what he was doing, why he was in the world was building on, and it was foretold, the law and the prophets. And it gave them something to hold on to as they headed towards something that they didn't and wouldn't understand the humiliation and death of a man they expected to be their political and spiritual leader. For the disciples of that time, this provided them with the framework for how to understand what had gone before and what was to come. And for us, the disciples of Jesus, the apprentices of Jesus now, it serves as the same thing. It serves as a moment to affirm that this message of the upside down kingdom is in line with the work that God had been doing in the world already. And that gives us a framework to hold on to as we go into the next season of the Christian calendar. If you were here last week, you would have heard one of our board members, Nikki Von Reason, share a beautiful message about how we are constantly taking in our surroundings and understanding things from what we are seeing. But she talked about, like, she asked, what filter we are seeing things through. What voices do we have around us that are changing how we view things? What voices are we listening to? And are they telling us who he is and who we are? This event, the transfiguration, it provides a filter within which to understand Jesus, his message, and the events of his life. It can be very easy for us to just pick what we would like from the life of Jesus, pick what we would like from his story. And this is telling us he is part of something bigger. He is part of God's plan. Everything that is coming, the things that he will go through, it is a part of what God has ordained. It gave them the understanding that this man, at that time, they weren't thinking of him as God, but that Jesus and his message and work were ordained by God and foretold by what God had done previously. And so... I have found, going through the lectionary, practicing it, it being a habit that I am applying to my life, I guess, it's been providing a filter for my faith. It provides a filter through which we see Jesus and we see the world. Celebrating these events, considering this calendar, it provides a filter for how to see things. It can be a habit that calibrates our hearts. And I have found it fascinating that this calendar, and I'm not saying we're going to do this forever, I just have really been enjoying what this practice has been doing for me. But this practice of forming our calendar around the story of Jesus. It calibrates our hearts to his story. And I grew up, and it was mostly Christmas and Easter, Christmas and Easter, and those were the parts of the story that we heard, which are good. Those are very important parts. That's why we make a big deal about them. But I've been really fascinated by how this practice has changed me. And I keep using the word practice because, for me, it's been a practice. I read these, I try to write a message, I'm looking at the calendar of all of our services and what's going to fit and where, and I, like, see a big picture, so it is becoming a practice for me. But I think for you guys, it's still probably been much more cerebral. Um, you've heard me mention it. You might have read an email. You hear these messages. Okay, thanks for these thoughts. That's nice. Glad you're having a good time with this. Um, which is why I am that much more excited about the season that is coming. The season that is coming, after Advent, we have Advent, Epiphany, then there's the season of Lent, and the season of Lent provides the perfect all perfect opportunity for us as a church to make this not just something we're thinking about, but a practice. So before I explain how that works, I'm going to give a little bit of background on Lent because I don't know about you. I remember hearing about Lent when I was a kid and thinking it was weird, not knowing anything about it. Some Christians do this, sounds weird. That was pretty much the extent of what I knew. It wasn't a part of my faith. So why am I excited to share this with you and the season that is coming up? Lent is a season of the Christian year that lasts for 40 days. If you've read scripture, 40 days is a popular amount. There's lots of stories that give significance to that. But the 40 days begin on Ash Wednesday. That's actually this Wednesday. And then it ends on Holy Saturday, which is the day before Easter Sunday. And during this time, Christians prepare for Easter by reflecting on their spiritual lives. The history of Lent is that it was an observance that had its roots back in the early Christian church. So it used to be when believers were fasting and praying because they were gonna get baptized on Easter. And over time, the practice became more widespread and was adopted by other Christian denominations. It just started spreading. People were like, this is excellent to have this season where we are intentional, intentionally thinking about our spirituality, we're intentionally thinking about God, we are making this a season that we are devoting to this. So, the purpose of Lent is to provide Christians with an opportunity to draw closer to God through prayer, fasting, and acts of charity. It's a time to reflect on one's own spiritual life and to seek forgiveness and reconciliation with God and others. There are three pillars of Lent. My remote keeps wanting me to press it twice to make it work. So, the pillars of Lent are fasting, prayer, and almsgiving. Again, some of these things may be familiar to you. Some of them may be weird and new. So I'm going to explain them as well. Fasting involves giving up certain luxuries or desires for a period of time in order to focus on spiritual needs. It can take many forms, such as giving up food for a day, Abstaining from certain foods for a period of time, that time that I mentioned when I was a kid and I first heard about Lent, it was because my cousin was giving up chocolate, and I remember thinking, that does not sound fun. Um, or giving up other things like television or social media. And the purpose of fasting is to help individuals draw closer to God by acknowledging their dependence on God and breaking away from the distractions of the world. The second pillar, Prayer. It's an essential aspect of the Lenten season. During this time, individuals are encouraged to reflect on the relationship with God and to seek a deeper spiritual connection with him. It can be achieved through daily prayers, corporate prayer, or participating in de- devotional activities. Then the third, almsgiving, uh, which is a word you may not have heard before. Uh, but it is giving to those in need. It involves helping uh, those in need, and it can involve donating to charities, volunteering time at a local soup kitchen, or helping a neighbor in need. It's an expression of compassion and love. And it's an integral part of the entire season as it helps individuals focus on our obligations to others and living a life of selflessness and service. And I will say, this is probably the part of Lent that I always heard the least about. I've heard about the fasting, I've heard about giving things up. I've heard about the prayer. I've seen plenty of devotionals, 40 day devotionals to go through during Lent. Um, But not as much about the almsgiving, not as much about your time and your money being in service for others at this time. And I have been very impressed lately through the things that I have been reading, through the examples of models of Christianity of their lives that I have been reading about, how important this is and how we can't actually separate our relationship with God with our relationship with others. Even the words of Jesus, when he's talking about the most important commandment and he says, love the Lord God with all your heart and the other one is love your neighbor as yourself. Um, And embracing a season where we have practices that are actually having us turn to others and see their needs and meet their needs I think is very important and I haven't had it enough in my faith and I don't know if you have and if you have I would love to have coffee with you and hear about how it's going because I want to learn from you. But as a church, as we are going through this calendar, as we are trying to figure out how some of our life can be impacted by this story about the season of the story of Jesus. I think that these three pillars of lent, prayer, fasting and almsgiving, they can serve as a reminder to us about the importance of spiritual growth, of reflection, of our faith being a practice. And I think through these practices our hearts will be calibrated. And our faith will be deepened. Our relationship with God will be strengthened. And our relationship with others will be strengthened. And here's where I get to a part that I don't normally do as much when I'm speaking, the practical part. (laughs) And I don't know what God may ask of you in this season. But in my role, all I can do is provide you some opportunities that you may not have otherwise. So here are some opportunities that we are going to work together as a church to kind of practice this season of Lent and see how it changes things for us, see how it calibrates us as a community. So we are going to continue having prayer on Sunday mornings. Uh, I am in the process of transforming one of our rooms in the offices to be a prayer room for this season, and it's going to start being available when we open the church and there will be people practicing um, for the service. The room will be open, and if you want to come and pray as early as 9.30 on Sundays, you can pray, and it's going to be available until the service starts at 11. Um, I will generally be there from 10 to 10.30, but it's going to be open the whole morning, so that we can have some space for God, some space to be paying attention to him and hearing his heart. Another way that we will be doing it, this is just, honestly, it worked out conveniently, but I think maybe it's providence, but we will be hosting the Unite in Prayer, uh, prayer meeting here on the 27th at 7 p.m., like I mentioned before, and, uh, Maybe coming earlier on Sunday mornings doesn't work for you. Maybe a Monday evening is better, but I would love to see you here so that we can pray together, not just as us, but with other churches. I think that's going to be great. Another thing that we are going to try and do is have a benevolent offering every week. If you don't know what benevolent is, uh, I didn't actually know that term until I started coming here, and they were like, oh, yeah, we have a benevolent fund and a benevolent offering, and that is actually um, giving to those in need. So um, we will take up an offering and every week we will give it to a different organization that is helping those in need. And that is a way that whether you have a way in your life as an individual that you want to be honoring this season, we will be doing it together. I will also have a cart that we're going to keep in the lobby um, for donations to Samaritan House. So if you have... Some cans, or some diapers, or we will have the list of the most needed items. If you want to bring them with you on Sunday, my husband used the term virtue singling this morning, and that's not what it is. I can't, maybe I could think of more. But if I myself started the practice that every time I was coming to church, I was also thinking, oh, I need to make sure that I am caring for those who are in need in my city. And the practices became synonymous. I am going to go worship God. Oh, and while I'm doing that, I'm going to make sure that I am loving on those who need love. That would be formative for me. I encourage you to try it. If at the end of a month it's not formative for you, I can give you cans or something. I don't know. I'll buy you lunch. Um, what's the point of this? Why am I talking about this? Why am I so excited about the lectionary? Why did I just talk so much about Lent, which sounds like a very boring Christian season? Because I believe that this faith can and should actually change our lives and our world. I mean that in, like, the least sensational and the most sensational way it can possibly be all at once. Big services, flashy lights, big emotions, I don't know, tons of money for the church, that's not what I mean. But can this life of faith actually make me think of myself less? Can it make me more godly? Can it make me more holy in the way that I am more like the God who came into the world as vulnerable as possible and then died in service for others? And I think it can. And I don't know if it has enough. I'm already over time, so I'm not going to go into too much. But I've spent a lot of time with the thoughts of Christianity. I have a four year degree, a bachelor's, a bachelor's of theology. That's what I was learning. Tell me about Jesus stuff. I have a master's of divinity, another three years. Okay, tell me more about this God stuff. The thinking didn't naturally translate into being changed. The only thing that has ever changed me is when I have taken the time to change my practices. And when I make space to have time with God, I notice a difference. When I make space to be with others, to serve others, I notice a difference. And I truly believe that this life, this faith, this story of Jesus, the work of Jesus in me can make me think of myself less. I read a uh, article this week, and it was a study that was done on children showing compassion. And it was a small study. It was 285 four- and five-year-olds, and they found, in previous studies, they found children generally want to be compassionate. They want to share with others. They, they care about their feelings, and especially around the ages of four and five, they start being more aware of others people's feelings, and they will do that. But they found in this study that children were very willing to help unless it was going to be at cost to them. So the way they set it up is they had these puzzles, and someone else was working on the puzzle. It was either a puppet or it was another person, or they had like, different scenarios in which they did it. Um, and the kid would have enough pieces to do their own puzzle. Sometimes they might have extra pieces to do the puzzle that they could share. Um, but if the kid finished the puzzle themselves, they would get a prize, and they knew they would get a prize. And if they had the extra pieces, they would happily give them to someone else. But if they didn't have the extra pieces and it meant that they weren't going to get the prize, they were less likely to share. They were like, oh, well, that's sad. Maybe next time you'll get the right pieces. I'm I'm sorry. Um, And I don't want to make too much of a statement about the condition of human nature based on a study of 300 five-year-olds. However, if I'm going to be honest about myself, looking at my behavior and not my intention, I have beautiful intentions. But if I'm looking at my behavior, I think I'm much more likely to share only if it doesn't cost me anything. And in that, and if you are the same, we don't tend to match up with this kingdom of humility, this kingdom of thinking of ourselves less, this kingdom with a king who did the most costly thing. A few weeks ago, and one of my messages, the word repent came up, and I mentioned how the word can make me uncomfortable because it makes me think of someone standing on a soapbox telling people that they have no concept of what they are talking that, that that have no concept of what they are talking about, that they need to repent. They don't even know. What, okay, you just think I'm horrible. When really, when John the Baptist or Jesus was using the word, when they were preaching it, they would have been speaking to those who most likely knew a bit of what God expected of them, and who knew the Psalms and would have known Psalm 27 and the invitation and response of this verse. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. As I was writing this message and this verse came to me again, I wondered, am I saying this too much? This has been repeating in my life and in my thoughts of this church, just this invitation. Come and talk with me. And wondering if our hearts are responding, Lord, I am coming. It feels like a message for us right now. It feels like a call that I need to hear every day and a call that I need to choose to respond to. Including the fact that I may need to change my posture, my priorities and turn toward God and the things that He desires and repent of the things that have distracted me from Him. Every day. And I don't think this invitation is limited to prayer. I don't think it's limited to study. I truly believe that this is a whole way of life that we are being invited into, and our choices to respond to these invitations or not, they form us. As we close today, as you go this week, I would invite you to spend some time contemplating these questions. What is God calling you to today? What is God calling you to in this upcoming Lent season? In 40 plus days, we will be celebrating a God that died for us, and yet he has risen. But in this season, how are we preparing? What is he calling us to I encourage you to think of these questions this week. And go with blessings.